What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and on this edition of the pod, we're going to be explaining why Arsenal are struggling in front of goal at the moment. Uh, we're going to break it down. We're going to discuss all of the reasons why Arsenal are finding it hard at this moment in time to score with the regularity that we became accustomed to over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. Why have so many individuals' numbers dropped off a cliff? Why is the team as a as a collective and as a whole struggling, as I say, to keep on putting the ball in the back of the net, meaning that there is that little bit more margin for error when it comes to us defensively? We're going to get into all of that on this episode of the podcast. And I'm really, really looking forward to this episode because I've spent a lot of time thinking about what I was going to say, um, backing it up with statistics, making sure that the eye test um, in terms of what I believe I'm seeing is in line with what I'm reading and what the statistical um, databases and, and analysis, analytics, I should say, are telling me. Um, and I've, I've been doing that throughout the course of the day. So I'm really, really looking forward to explaining to you guys why I think that the Arsenal attack is struggling at the moment. And of course, getting your thoughts and feedback from the live chat as always. Let me say a few hellos because there are plenty of you with us live already. Uh, we've got Temi who's joining us. We've got Hacker, Bernie, uh, AHWR is with us. Uh, MD is here. We've got NSW, lots of initials today. We've got Zebic, Paul is with us. Um, Amira, uh, Cesar Canterbury Guna is here. Uh, Afsar is with us, uh, Junior Gunner to look if there's anybody who didn't get to join us yesterday um happy new year to you guys thank you for joining us thank you for all your support of course during 2023 and let's make 2024 even bigger and even better here on the chronicles of aguna so why are arsenal struggling in front of goal at the moment why have arsenal seemingly lost their spark and why is this a big talking point at this moment in time let's dive into it I guess the best place to start is by providing you a little bit of context. Why are people talking about Arsenal's attack so much? Why is it that a lot of us feel that it's gone off the boil just slightly? Arsenal have played 20 games in the Premier League so far this season. They've scored 37 goals. That's less than two goals per game. Only Liverpool have a better defensive record than Arsenal in the division at this moment in time by two goals. So clearly attack is the problem. When you look at the top five, Arsenal have scored less goals than anybody else in the top five in the Premier League at the time of recording. Five goals less than Ange Postacoglu's Tottenham Hotspur, who are the second lowest goal scorers in the top five. So defensively, we're fine. We're sitting second out of five uh, in terms of the rankings in the Premier League, in terms of the best teams. Um, but the problem is that we're sitting second or no, we're sitting bottom of the top five when it comes to goals scored. So clearly, if there's one element of Arsenal's game that isn't working at the moment, if there's one bit that we need to focus on, it is what we're doing 
at the opposition end of the pitch. Yes, we've made a few defensive errors, I think, over the last couple of games, but because we haven't had the firepower at the other end to um, cover up for those, they've become a big talking point as well. But just looking at the stats, breaking it all down, looking over the course of the season so far, um, it is, of course, uh, an issue that we have at one end of the pitch rather than at the other. I think we could do better defensively, of course, but I don't think it's such a... Um, an issue at the moment that we need to be alarmed by that or focusing on that. So clearly attack is the problem ahead of anything else in this football team. So how have we got to this point? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. As I said right at the top, there isn't any one reason we're struggling. There's a combination of reasons. And I want to start off, I think, with the midfield. Um, and in particular, I want to start off with the number six position, because although this is a long way back from our front line, I think this is a position that plays a big part in the way that Arsenal played. And I think last season we saw what happens when Thomas Partey is in the team versus what happens when Thomas Partey isn't in the team. Now, Arsenal went out in the summer and bought Declan Rice in. Now, I don't think Declan Rice was coming in to replace Thomas Partey per se. I thought he was coming in to take the rest of our midfield to another level. I think Mikel Arteta would have looked at Declan Rice and thought, yeah, you know what? You can play as a six and I'd love to have you in there because of your defensive qualities, but also because of your ability to carry the ball forward. But I think in an ideal world, had Thomas Partey been fit, available with everybody else sort of raring to go, or at least the majority of players ready to go, I honestly do believe that Thomas Partey would be starting in that midfield alongside Declan Rice and alongside Martin Erdegaard. So why do I want to focus on the number six role? Let me break it down for you. So this is how Arsenal would typically line up, okay? Um, for those of you that are listening on audio, you might want to switch over to YouTube for this episode. I do tend to um, say that when we're doing these kind of tactical breakdowns and analysis because I think it's important that you can see uh, the visuals that are on the screen as well to help you understand my point. If not, don't worry, I'll do my best uh, to try and explain it sort of just in terms of uh, with what I'm saying. But you look at the way we've lined up typically this season. It's been Rice in that sixth position because of the absence of Thomas Partey. And we've played with Odegaard and Havertz in the two eight positions. And I guess the theory at the beginning of the season for Mikel Arteta would have been this. He'd have looked at the positions that Granit Xhaka was getting himself into from an offensive standpoint. And he'd have said, he's got seven league goals. He's incredibly effective in the opposition third. But this is a guy who isn't naturally an attacking midfield player. This is a guy that doesn't have the instincts of a forward. This is a guy who's played predominantly throughout his career as a defensive midfielder. So if I can get that out of him, what would I be able to get out in that final third of a more forward thinking player of someone who can play as a uh, sort of attacking midfielder as a 10 um, could play from a wide area, but has also spent the last few years of his career playing as a centre-forward, so has some of those instincts. I understand the logic behind the idea of signing Kai Havertz and the idea of him being the one to replace um, Granit Xhaka. I would say as well that Declan Rice defensively just gives you a bit more protection than Thomas Partey because I think he's fitter than him. I think he's more mobile than him. And I think he's got different qualities to him. And so maybe Mikel Arteta looked at the combination of Rice and Havertz as one that could potentially work, as one um, 
where it was kind of a little bit imbalanced in that Havertz would give you more going forward than Jacker did, but he'd also give you less defensively in terms of the positions that he drops into. But because of Rice's superiority to Partey in terms of covering ground and in terms of those defensive instincts, maybe that wouldn't matter. The logic makes sense. The theory behind it all makes sense. But I think we've had a big problem with regards to the way the number six role is being played and what that has changed. Now, let me be clear. This is not me having a go at Declan Rice, okay? Because I think Declan Rice was a wonderful signing. I think with the exception of maybe Fulham at the weekend, he's played at least an eight out of 10 every time he's taken to the field for Arsenal. So please do not take this in the wrong way. I am not criticizing Declan Rice, but I think different skill sets bring different things to the table. And in losing Thomas Partey and playing with Declan Rice in that role, we lose one particular attribute one particular thing that Thomas Partey brought to the team in an abundance that I don't think Declan Rice has. I think Declan Rice, if you were to go through a tick box of all um, his attributes, if let's say there was a list of 100 things, you could probably tick off 98, 99 of them. But there are one or two things that Declan Rice doesn't have in his locker at this stage that Thomas Partey does, which means that there is a difference in the way that our sixth role is being played. Now, let me explain a little bit about what I mean. So I've just put some counters on onto the screen for a, an opposition side, right? I've just gone with like a, I know they're shorter player. Let me add one more. Um, so it looks like a bit like a 4-4-2, but basically um, let's just push these guys up. Hold on a second. So you've got Arsenal facing more often than not a low block. That tends to be uh, the issue that we we come across week in, week out. And where you saw Arsenal do a lot of damage to opposition sides last season was in this area here. In this area here, right across the width of the pitch, you would see Arsenal players pick up the ball in this area and be able to turn and run at the back line, run at, at the defence, I beg your pardon. And often the players that would pick the ball up in those areas were Saka on the right-hand side, Martinelli on the left-hand side, and Martin Odegaard, uh, in the half space here, you'd see Jesus pick up the ball there as well. And what would happen is that if Arsenal could work the ball into that area nice and early, bypass the midfield um, of the side that were, of course, at some point, not always as, as aggressively as you'd hope, but sometimes we're going to try and press you. If they're going to try and press Gabriel, press Saliba, and those guys, particularly the goalkeeper, could ping it in between the lines into Partey here. Let's just say that this is Thomas Partey for a minute. Thomas Partey's first instinct was very, very often when the opposition midfield would then try and press him like this um, and, and try and close him out. His first instinct was receive the ball on the half turn. And what will I do? I'll play a ball out here nice and early to Saka or I'll play a ball out here. I beg your pardon. Um, nice and early out towards Gabriel Martinelli. Those guys would start in really wide positions, but they were still in between the lines. And once they got it, they were one-on-one -on -one with a defender. They had... The, their teammates in close proximity, Odegaard, Jesus and Martinelli, for example, would all put themselves in a position between the lines. And that meant that it was a four on four or a four on five or whatever. But it was a situation from which Arsenal could do great damage. Now, the beauty about Thomas Partey's game is that he's incredibly good at doing that. He's incredibly good at receiving the ball as the six and being aware of what's going on around him and pinging it out nice and early. Declan Rice is a different footballer. Now, again, this is not to criticise 
Declan Rice or to slag him off or anything. But he progresses the ball, I think, in a very different way to um, to what somebody uh, like Thomas Partey does. Now, Declan Rice is someone that quite likes to uh, receive the ball um, and get it under control before turning and looking up. He's a bit more risk averse in terms of what he does in possession. He's a little bit more risk averse in terms of letting the ball run across his body, looking over the shoulder. Declan Rice will much prefer to kind of get his foot on the ball, then turn, then look up. Now, that slight delay in terms of getting your foot on the ball, turning and looking up, what does that do? That allows people to retreat into positions, into deeper positions, which makes that space that I highlighted, the space in which our wingers like to operate, Odegaard likes to operate, in just taking that little bit more time to play that ball out there and to breach that line, you allow those guys to retreat into a lower block, into a tighter position, and that space in this hole here becomes much smaller. And then it becomes much more difficult to pick out one of your players in that area of the pitch. So I think it's not a criticism of Declan Rice, as I keep saying. I feel like I have to keep saying that because I know someone will take this and run with it. It's just a bit of analysis with regards to the difference in the way that Partey and Rice play the number six role. Without Thomas Partey in our team, ball progression is less and it takes longer to happen. Now, I think that Mikel thought that one of the reasons why he should persist was Zinchenko, despite at the end of last season, I think him going off the ball massively and you know, defensively him costing us on a couple of occasions. I think the reason that Mikel persists with Zinchenko when fit and available is because he recognises that about Declan Rice's game and thinks that if he puts Zinchenko in there alongside him, who is a bit more of a risk taker in terms of possession and the Arsenal shape becomes a little bit more like this, who is more inclined to receive the ball on the half turn and try that um, through the eye of a needle pass, then maybe that will help us progress the ball into that attacking third just that little bit sooner, which will make all of the difference. I would argue right now that as a result of Partey being out, but also the profile and um, the profile and the skill set of the players, I would argue that Arsenal's midfield is balanced, but it has a different type of balance. The problem is, is that when you have a different type of balance to what your teammates have been accustomed to, it means your forwards then need to find a different solution. They need to find um, a different way of playing. They need to find different ways of hurting the opposition. And they're just not quite in tune yet. The forward line and the midfield, I don't think it's quite in tune. And I do think that Thomas Partey's return, whenever that's going to be, will make a big, big difference to this. And in that case, I'd like to see Kai Havertz probably drop out of the starting eleven, And I'd quite like to see Declan Rice pushed into that left eight position because then you've got a balance that is more like the balance that I think that was so successful for us last season in that you've got Rice, who is literally the box-to-box guy, helps you out defensively because he's bloody great at it, but also can get forward and can drive. And one of Rice's big sort of attributes, I think, is his ability to carry the ball forward. Now, when you're playing as a six, you can do that. And he has done that and he will do that. But it's a much bigger risk and gamble to do that than it is when you're an eight. So if Declan Rice, you look at him and you think one of his strengths is the fact that he can pick up the ball and powerfully drive forward. Well, he's going to do that even more from an eight position because he's not the last line of midfield defense anymore. So I think it suits Declan Rice as well that we get Thomas Partey back. 
and we slightly adapt and change his role. Um, there's lots more to talk about. I want to talk about um, the wingers. I want to talk about what their remit is, what they were trying to do last season, what they did so well last season, but haven't been able to do at the start of this campaign. And I want to talk about the centre forward position as well. We're going to touch on Jamie Carragher's comments too. Uh, we're going to talk about individual performances. There's loads and loads to get into still on this. So don't go anywhere. Um, I'm going to take a short pause. And when I come back, I'm going to go into the comments to see what you guys are saying. Because some of you are agreeing with me. Some of you are disagreeing with me. So let's get into that right after this very short pause. Here we go. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. Okay, um, let's dive into the chat box before we continue um, to break this all down. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Eduardo says, hi, guys. I'm so sorry. It's actually my fault. I've been captaining Jesus in my FPL team. Oh, God. <laughs> um, Hacker says, it sounds like the midfield isn't um, as productive in terms of the build-up play. H says, I believe a lot of this is down to tired legs and the change of mindset. Arteta has asked for control, and because of that, we're not moving the ball quickly enough and breaking lines. We need a bit of a shake-up. Robert says, Afternoon, Harry. Mikel has put the wrong fuel in his engine. Cesar says, not trying to knock on Havertz, but would you consider getting another um, number eight, like a natural eight, just to have something different for cover? We have Emil Smith-Rowe and Vieira there, both natural tens. Yeah, I mean, if we go back to... Um, if we go back to sort of the summer when we signed Kai Havertz, I said, look, I like Kai Havertz and I'd love him to come in as another forward player, someone that could rotate across our front line that could be used as an attacking midfielder in certain game states. But I did raise questions about whether or not he was a natural fit to that position. He started the season not being very effective. And over time, I think he's improved and developed and got to the point where we now look at him and think, actually, he's doing that role pretty well, but he's still not 100% um, a natural A. Cesar says, uh, Rice is number one in Europe in progressive passes at the moment. Now, I haven't looked at the stat across Europe, okay? But as I always say to you, stats can be very, very misleading. And this is where people need to be careful. This is why you should always go with the eye test first and stats can either back up or disprove your point. Now, what is a progressive pass? By definition, what is a progressive pass? A progressive pass is any pass that is played, that moves forwards. That is what the definition is of a progressive pass. Okay. What a progressive pass should be in my book, if I were drawing up the definition, is a pass into the next third of the pitch. That's what a progressive pass should be. Because it's all good you playing a five-yard forward pass or a pass, um, you know, that goes... Hold on a second. Let me just show you on um, my little diagram. If you play a pass, let's say Betton White's coming out on the outside. And Declan Rice plays a pass with a slight angle like that. That's a progressive pass that Declan Rice has played into Ben White. But is it the type of progressive pass that actually breaks lines, that actually gets you into a position of note, that actually puts you in an area on the pitch from which you can cause damage? So I'm not going to read into that stat too much. There is no doubt in my mind that Declan Rice plays less line-breaking and... Um, third invading passes or third crossing passes than Thomas Partey does. So the, the two things are different. Um, 
Damien says, you're so correct about Rice and Partey. He says, Partey can break the lines. Uh, agreed. Um, what else have we got? Um, Cesar says, I disagree with your analysis. I'm assuming it's because of um, what I've just highlighted, but I've sort of said to you why I don't think um, that is a thing. And also, Nacho makes a great point. Progressive passing stats don't always, or don't, definitely don't, account for the time taken to play the pass. Exactly. And that is a big key point as well, because the earlier you play the pass, the more likely you are to catch the opposition out of position and the more likely you are for that pass to have an impact. And these are all key factors. Partey releases the ball earlier, quicker and breaks line. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. It's quicker. Again, it's not a criticism of Declan Rice. They're just different players, man. They're just different players. And it just explains why Saka and Martinelli, in my opinion, at this moment in time, and Martin Odegaard to a degree as well, are just receiving the ball too late at times. Because they receive the ball too late, this brings me on to my next point nicely. What you end up with is a situation where... Saka will receive the ball out on the right flank here and he'll get it. And not only has he got a fullback to contend with, he has got a midfield player who's come back to help out his fullback. So he's got two men on him every time he receives the ball. And the same can be said of Gabriel Martinelli on this other side, because the pass, the ball has taken too long to reach that intended destination. Now, what we did so well last season was isolate Take these guys out of the equation because we would get um, the ball to these two out wide nice and early. What they could often do would be isolate the fullback. And then you've got two options as an attacking player. You either try and come in on the inside and at worst case, the center half is going to come across as well. Then um, you try and get a shot off. You try and make something happen yourself. You use Odegaard who would get into those half spaces in Saka's instance. And that's why those pair... Um, combined so well last season because they would both break the lines with that forward run at the same time. And once one of them received it, they had the other one with them and just one line to break down. Or if they didn't want to cut inside, if they thought that that wasn't the right option at the time, Saka would take on his man, get to the byline, the same with Martinelli. And from that position, you've got a back line that is now retreating. You've got midfielders struggling to get back. And as long as your players are making the runs that they need to, and busting a gut to get there, then they can arrive on the edge of the box and cause damage. All they have to do is stay in front of the midfielder who is retreating at that point. That is something that we did so often last season. How many goals last season and at the start of this season did you see from Martin Odegaard when he would, they would Arsenal would break the lines nice and early. Um, the two wide players would get to the byline, they cut the ball back, and there he was arriving on the edge of the box. And the theory and the idea behind having Kai Havertz in the side is that because of his forward instincts, he'd be joining in with Martin Odegaard in that type of area as well. So in theory, as I keep saying, this all works. This is why Mikel Arteta, um, you know, this is why Mikel Arteta thought in his mind that this was going to work. At the moment, it isn't working, though. It isn't working. What you see now is you see teams who have worked us out. And I, I've said this so many times over the last few days because I think it's really, really true. And I think it's impossible to ignore the fact that a lot of these sides 
have worked us out. What you see now when Martinelli gets the ball or when Jesus gets the ball or when Saka gets the ball is that they're crowded out really, really quickly, that the opposition have players behind the ball. And now what you're trying to do is you're trying to break through two lines of defence, which is obviously much harder, particularly when there's no space in between those two lines. So Saka here, you know, he will either try and go down the byline, but it's difficult because he's got two players coming back with him. Also, the centre-half is in the corridor there to block off any cutback or pass. And all of a sudden, you know, his path is a very, very difficult one. If he cuts inside, he's only going to be allowed to cut inside to this point. And he's required to then try and make something happen from the corner of the box. Awkward angle. When you don't have that big old centre-forward in the middle, you can put it in, but it's going to be a, a ball that has to have um, a certain trajectory on it that I think makes it quite easy for the keeper to come and collect or for a centre-half who's watching it all the way um, to get on the end of it. You don't have the position from which to whip it in um, with any velocity because what you're doing is you're running the risk because of the, the proximity between the corner of the box and the penalty spot. If you hit it too hard, who the hell's going to get on the end of it? So, so as a result of that, teams are forcing us to work in those areas, knowing full well that our chances of making something happen are much, much reduced. The only other way that you can help Saka out and that you can help Martinelli out in this situation and try and pull one of the two uh, players that are occupying them away is by having your fullbacks overlapping. And that just doesn't happen often enough in this Arsenal team. Zinchenko spends most of his time in midfield. And so when he's in that area for the build-up, when he's in this area, you're asking a lot of Zinchenko to, once the ball's worked out to Martinelli, to make this run around the outside of him to be able to cause him um, or to be able to give him a different option and cause the defence problems. We saw that in a recent game at home. I can't remember. Was it Brighton at home where Zinchenko did do that and we created that overload on that side and we managed to work the ball inside and score a goal? So it can be done. But because of the inverted nature of not just Zinchenko, but Ben White a lot of the time too, because he's often in this type of area, then you're asking him to go on the outside. He does it more than Zinchenko, but it's a tall order to ask him to do that over and over again. But that's another way that maybe you can help deal with the, um, the problem of the doubling up on our wingers. But our system doesn't really cater to that. And you're asking fullbacks that are playing 90% of the game as inverted fullbacks to then become overlapping fullbacks at certain trigger points. And that just takes too long to happen. Therefore, it's easy to defend against. So the lack of width is becoming a bit of a problem as well. And I say lack of width. I did talk earlier about Martinelli receiving the ball really wide at times. And the same with Bukayo Saka on the right. But you know they're always going to go in field because we're playing with inverted wingers. We're playing with a right-footed player on the left and a left-footed player on the right. And if your fullbacks are inverted as well, then clearly there is a lack of width. Now, Diego Simeone always famously says that when you want to defend effectively, you push people into wide areas. And it's this part of the pitch here where you do your most important work. If you can keep this part of the pitch nice and tight, nice and congested, then you are going to have joy um, in terms of your defensive shape. And you are going to keep most people at bay most of the time. Yet Arsenal, because of the lack of width in the wide areas and because of the lack of width provided by the fullbacks at times, are constantly running into that area, are constantly running into traffic 
Add to that that you're facing a low block and those spaces in between the lines I keep talking about are smaller than they've ever been. It's becoming harder and harder and harder for this Arsenal team to pick these locks, open defences up and cause them problems. So I think these are just some of the reasons. Look, I also think that there's been, um, you know, a, a drop off in the level of some of the individuals as well. You know, Bukayo Saka's numbers are okay this season, but I don't think he's been anywhere near as good as he was um, last season in terms of his overall game. I think you could say the same for Gabriel Martinelli, although he doesn't have the numbers and that's why he's the one getting the heat at the moment. I don't think Jesus has been as effective as he was when he was playing last season. Um, and so, you know, while I'm saying that generally this is what's happening, that it's taken us too long to get the ball into that area and it's taken us too long to create those situations, allowing opposition to get bodies back behind the ball. I also think there are occasions where we do make that happen, but Saka and Martinelli's kind of take-on rate and directness isn't what it was last season. Martinelli now seems to take a touch and think about it before he wants to take someone else on. Maybe that's because of a lack of confidence, because last season he wouldn't have even thought about it. And the same with Saka at times. Sometimes I feel he hesitates now to cut inside. Um, and that slight hesitation allows people to get back and allows people to shut off certain corridors. So just to kind of summarise, um, I think it's a lot to do with the way we're playing the six role at the moment. That has affected how quickly we are getting the ball forward and into that final third. Um, you could argue that Arteta's trying alternative ways of doing that. Push Kai Havertz up, get David Raya to play a long direct ball up to him. That can get you into the final third nice and quickly, but it's not always easy to bring those balls under control, which again then causes a delay, which again then allows people to get back. I think the wingers are receiving the ball too late as a result, meaning that the door is often closed on them. I think there's a lack of width because of their inverted nature, but also the fact that both our fullbacks want to play in that way as well. There is no focal point striker, which allows you to go that little bit more direct and you know, work on crossing effectively from the areas that we're talking about us receiving the ball in. And I think there's been a dip in individual form. You can't tell me that Martinelli is taking on and beating as many players as he was last season. And I, I go back to that interview that Zinchenko gave not long ago, where he said the reason he comes in field a lot of the time is to bring the right-sided player into the middle of the pitch with him. And then the fact that Arsenal can work the ball out to Martinelli early was always a great advantage to them because they trusted him that if there were 20 duels, 20 one-on-one take-on situations, he'd get past his man at least 10, 11 times. And from there, he could cause all sorts of problems. It's just not happening often enough at this moment in time. There's not enough goals. Um, there's not enough clear-cut chances, in my opinion. Creativity is a problem for us at the moment. But I think a lot of it, aside from the points I've made about the wingers, the forwards, Odegaard, etc., I think a lot of it stems from the way our midfield is set up at this moment in time. Again, it's not a dig at Declan Rice. It's not a dig um, at, um, at Kai Havertz either or Martin Odegaard or anything. It's just a little bit imbalanced at the moment. And I've saved this point till last. Apologies. I've saved this point till last because I knew this was going to go down like a lead balloon, but I'm going to make it anyway. I honestly think that right now, given the problems that I've just highlighted and the problems I believe that Arsenal have, I think there's a strong case that says that Jorginho should be in the midfield with Rice playing in that slightly more advanced role, which means hard luck for Kai Havertz at the moment, who I really like and I think he's doing a great job and it would be incredibly harsh to drop him. But I think for the balance of the team, for the balance of the midfield, 
We might just need to do that, particularly when we're at home facing low blocks. Um, I think Jorginho might be the one that we we turn to just to kind of just to kind of give us that ball progression from a deeper area quicker. Um, because again, Declan Rice is great at carrying the ball forward, but is his passing as penetrative as a Partey's um, or a Jorginho's? I don't know. Apologies, my throat is tingling, which is why I had to mute uh, to give it a little cough there. Nobody wants that in their ears, do they? Anyway, um, let me know about you. Let me know your thoughts on the analysis that I've just provided. Um, really, really interested uh, to hear if you agree with that stuff, disagree with that stuff. I'll take a few questions uh, before we go. Uh, but first, we're going to take a really, really short break. Welcome back along to the show. Okay, um, let's see uh, what you guys are saying on this. Uh, uh, Viraj says that we need someone like Trent who can turn defence into attack in a pass. We don't have that player. It's too many passes in the build-ups, too slow. Completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. Uh, Damien says we need a big striker. Uh, Harry, why don't Martinelli and Saka ever switch sides in the game? Saka's acting uh, like he never made the team as a left-back cross more balls. But you're crossing it into who? This is the problem right now. Unless you're going to push Kai Havertz right up alongside Jesus as a striker, um, who are you crossing it into? That would be my issue with that. But I agree with you on the point about them switching at times and just maybe shaking it up and confusing people a little bit. That probably should happen more than it does. Um, Gary Griffin says, uh, Harry, your thoughts on our links to Tony? Is he the answer? Personally, I take Boniface, Openda, Lautaro, Martinez, or Vlavic over Tony. They would suit our style better and wouldn't be eighty to one hundred million pounds. Yeah, I'm not keen on the idea of Ivan Tony. I'm really not. I, I, I don't think he's the answer. I don't think he's the solution, and I don't think that what Brentford are asking for financially is within the realms of fairness. <laughs> and, and from an Arsenal point of view, at this moment, within the realms of possibility either. So, I, I would ignore that for now. Um, Nacho says Ben White's confidence uh, being low is also a big change from last year. I seem to remember in the first half of the season, he used to pass out from the back and break the lines at least four or five times every game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm highlighting the six because I think whoever plays in the six has a real responsibility to do that. But as I've already mentioned, you know, Zinchenko is asked to progress the ball from the back. Gabriel and Saliba should do it when the opportunity is there. One of the reasons that Arteta wanted Raya is so that he can do it even from the goalkeeping position. Ben White's got to do it too. Progressive passing is not something that you look at any one player for. It's something that your entire team should be doing in order for it to work effectively. Every team's got scouts and will what watch what you did the week before and we'll work out who you like to funnel it through. And they're going to divert you down other routes. And sometimes you need to have different players that can step up and do that. Last season, as you say, Ben White would do it. Zinchenko would do it. Partey would do it. This season, it's not really happening as much. And that is something that is a collective responsibility. Although I do think when you factor in how often Partey did it, the fact that we're without him is, is obviously a big problem. Um, Dane Camille says, long time listener, first time commenting. Welcome, mate. Um, good to see you. Thanks for, for your support, of course. He says, Jorginho needs to come in when we're finding it hard to unlock defences. He has the passing capabilities to do so. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, okay, let's take a few more of the questions. 
Mindful Mastery says, if we're bringing back Tierney, that solves our left-back problem. I don't think it does. I, I really don't. Um, uh, what else have we got? Um, Benjamin says, semi-unrelated, but why do you think Klopp gets away with all his shenanigans on the touchline while Arteta is scrutinised for his every action? Just, it's, it's a funny one because with Klopp, when he first arrived in England, it was always oh, great, he's brilliant, he's a breath of fresh air, and now it's kind of changed. Um, but he still seems to retain this kind of um, this status as someone who's a good guy and, and you know, a good person for the game. And maybe that's why he gets, I don't know. I don't know, but you're right. Um, he does go a little bit over there. I'm not going to sit here and look at other managers because I think as does it as well. Um, but yeah. Um, Hacker says, is your fix then for the January transfer window a part a replacement? I do think if we could get a midfielder in who could progress the ball um, in that way, in a way similar to Thomas Partey, that would go quite a long way in terms of fixing our problem of getting the ball into the final third too late. Um, I know that's why Mikel Arteta likes Martin Zubimendi, but is that doable um, in January? It doesn't look like it is. So, yeah, it would be great, but I think this is a signing that's probably going to have to wait until the summer. And that's why I think it's imperative that we get um, that we get Thomas Partey back sooner rather than later. Um uh, Virat suggests Joey Veerman from PSV, which is a very good CM, and using Kai as a striker, using Zinni as a CM. Yeah, and look, Jesus isn't in great form at the moment, right, in terms of goal scoring and all that. So if you could go then and put Kai Havertz up front and change it up a little bit, I'd be happy with that. But at this moment in time, we're having to use Kai Havertz in midfield. People will say to me, well, you can use a Mill Smith Rowe. I made this point yesterday and I'll make it again. The guy has hardly kicked the football for two years. The guy is not, he is not in a position where you can start him in a football match right now. He needs minutes in order to, to build himself up. And unfortunately, because of the state of some of the recent games, he's not got as many as he'd like. But this idea, this notion that Emil Smith-Rowe, who was barely talked about last season because of how well we've done and how well our midfield performed, this notion that he's the saviour is just, it's just so, um, so overreactionary and so knee-jerk. Um, and and it isn't anywhere near in line with the reality. Gary Griffin says, what do you think of the links to Curtis Jones of Liverpool? Apparently, we're very interested. I like the player. I think he's a good player. Do I think there's any chance in hell that Jurgen Klopp sells him to Arsenal? Absolutely not. So I think that one is uh, one that we can ignore at this moment in time. Um, Afzar says, uh, Harry, is Partey really injured? Partey is injured. Um there was talk that he would maybe be back for the trip to Anfield that we played um, sort of late December time. That didn't happen. Um, I mean, Chris Hewton's comments around his injury are not very positive, are they? They don't make you feel like his return is imminent, which is obviously a bad thing. But at the same time, there is a part of me that thinks maybe, just maybe, you know, there's been a decision taken um, by Arsenal and Ghana that just says, look, he's not ready yet. You're posing a significant risk to him by taking him to the AFCON. Let him stay here. Let us focus on his rehabilitation. And all being well, we can get him back end of January, February. And if that's the case, it's too late for the AFCON anyway. So it wouldn't be in Ghana's interest then to take that risk. I don't know. Um, I think, yeah, I think he obviously is unavailable. Otherwise, we'd be using him. But there is a part of me that thinks that because of the AFCON, maybe Arsenal have just kind of slowed down the reintegration um, 
in order to try and maybe avoid him going to that tournament and potentially doing more damage and not being with us in the running, um, which is going to be obviously really important, not just because we want to win the title, but because we might well be in the thick of a top four race as well. Um, I said it the other day, people said, oh, you're not in a title race anymore, you're in a, a top four race. The thing is that both of those statements can be true because of how tight it is at the top. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Um, Alina Khan says, uh, no prioritization of competitions allowed from this match on Sunday. Need a winning mentality like every game is a cup final. I agree with this. Had we been on good form, I'd have been quite open to Mikel Arteta making changes against Liverpool. But I think because of the way things have gone, a victory over Liverpool, albeit in a cup competition, could be the catalyst that we need to get going and get started again. So I would definitely um, go with the team. It's a dedicated weekend to the FA Cup and then we've got a break afterwards. So there's no reason why Mikel shouldn't be um, picking a strong side for that one. I agree. And when, of course, we're going to preview that game a little bit later on in the week. Right, guys, I'm going to love you and leave you. Thank you so much for tuning in as always. If you're just joining us, if you joined us late, go back, check out my analysis on why Arsenal are struggling in the final third at the moment and let me know some of your thoughts. Until the next one, take care of yourselves. All the best and goodbye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.